Before we get started, I just wanted to let you guys all know that we now have a Twitter account. So if you're not already, go ahead and follow us at Boris Dirk Pod on Twitter. Enjoy the episode. Is the Boris Dirk podcast. We are back after a little hiatus and we're entering into coming out of the off season, starting to preview the NBA season for the next uh, few weeks. We're going to try to do some fun all NBA teams. So on the docket today, we have the all NBA one-on-one team trying to pick the five best or who we would construct a lineup with of just purely one-on-one players, which is obviously a very different game from five on five. Then we're going to do a quick little analysis of the Dallas Mavericks and the Indiana Pacers going into next year, two very intriguing teams coming up on important seasons. Semler, how you doing? Doing well. Let's let's do some segments. All right. So up first, the all one-on-one team. I had the idea for this because I feel like, I mean, the offseason, especially on Twitter, is just mostly ranking guys against each other. And an yeah. argument that you'll often hear is like, oh, if these guys played one-on-one, this guy would cook them which to me, usually I'm on the side of the guy who would lose the one-on-one. Personally, as a basketball player, I'm a horrible one-on-one player and I'm much better at five-on-five. But I thought it would still be fun to think about who are the guys, perhaps some like maybe unheralded guys or some Hall of Famers who in a one-on-one tournament, they would just cook. So I tried to go position by position. I don't know if you just picked five guys, but... I know I went position by position. Uh, just chatting for five seconds before we press record. Yeah. I think you went a little more fun, a little bit more niche. I literally chose five future Hall of Famers, three guys, I think, who, if they retired today, would already be in the Hall of Fame. Um, so maybe I took it a little, a little bit too literally, but I'm excited still to talk about superstars. Yeah. So I have a guess who your point guard might be, but you want to lay it on me? Uh, yeah. I mean, my point guard is Luca. All right. Uh, and, you know, I have like three guys that could conceivably be the point guard in my starting five, but I put Luca first. Uh, I, I don't know. Luca, threat to put the ball in the hoop from every square inch on the floor. Probably the best step, step back in the world now that Harden is slowed down. Uh, All time great balance at six, seven, and thick. And the strongest player in my starting five, excluding our seven foot one center. So yeah, Luca has so much going for him and it made me smile that he was a no-brainer for this list even without his passing threat, which is obviously like so much of what makes his isolation game so dangerous. Yeah, especially if we're going with unlimited dribbles, he's just like he just works guys into the paint and there's nothing they can really do about it. Um yeah. I got positionally creative, I ended up putting him at shooting guard, but he was definitely on my short list as well. For point guard, I went with Kyrie Irving. I don't know if you had him at the two, but just his skill set, his ability to dribble around anyone, absurd finishing angles, also a threat to score anywhere from 28 feet and in. I just thought his greatest skill is one-on-one scoring. Like when people say he might be the most skilled player of all time, personally, I think that's Steph, because if we're just doing dribble, pass, and shoot, Steph's the best shooter of all time. The handle's comparable and the passing is better. But anyways, this isn't about Steph. With Kyrie, I just think his isolation scoring is, you see it when he gets into playoff situations and he gets into isolation. There are very few guys who can stay in front of him and stop him from getting to where he wants to go. 
and you know, we're talking about the Mavs later. They have both these guys who are two of the best one-on-one players in the league. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did Kyrie make your list or no? Kyrie was probably my first cut or like, you know, my final cut. Uh, I use defense as a slight tiebreaker uh, because you got to guard the other guy, obviously yep. in one-on-one. Um, and so for my two, I ended up putting Devin Booker okay. and, you know, brief blurb on, on book deceptively huge, you know, I think every Uber competitive one-on-one game inevitably becomes at some point a mid range duel and Booker is comfortable fading from anywhere in the mid range. He'll back you down. And he's, like I said, no pushover in isolation defense. Kyrie isn't the worst defender in the league, but he's significantly worse than Booker. And at least Booker is physically equipped to guard more types of bodies than Kyrie. But Kyrie is the most beautiful one-on-one player probably I've ever watched. Yeah. Uh, One other guy I wanted to throw into the mix as a real dark horse. If we're just talking one-on-one, I think Kevin Porter Jr. would probably rank way higher among point guards than he would in a normal basketball context. Because, I mean, his his mixtape fodder of moves is just uh, yeah. insane. And I really dislike the way he plays basketball, but purely in a one-on-one setting, he definitely has yeah. the ability to cook guys. Yeah. He could make, he could score on anyone in the world. You could see three straight possessions of him, like in some summer league guarded by an NBA all-star and think like, Oh, this guy must be one of the young faces of the NBA. Yeah. But it's actually Kevin Porter Jr. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next uh, on the forward spot, who did you have at the three? Yeah. So maybe he should have been my two. Maybe he was my one, but I put SGA. Okay. Um, and this wasn't just like in honor of the season that he just had in honor of his size and like better defense than my first honorable mentions, guys like Steph and Dame, like SGA can just guard more people, but forget the defense tiebreaker. He's maybe the best driver in the world already. Uh, Another mid-range maestro and his size and unique movement patterns. Yeah. Like I said, are what bump him above those smaller guards for me. Uh, And I don't know. I, I, the Dame lover in me is a little bit mad at this decision, but it just felt right. And what SGA did this past season um, at such volume he is just he scores from the most awkward of angles and makes them look very simple and sleek and it's SGA. Yeah, I he was on my short list at the guard position. I mean, this year with the spacing the Thunder had, the the fact that he was able to score in the paint as frequently as and as efficiently as he was, he was basically I mean, he was the only, he was the third most I think points in the paint per game behind Giannis and Zion uh, in the yeah. entire NBA which at the guard position and with the spacing the Thunder had being among the worst in the NBA. I mean, he was playing one on three at times and was able to score 30 points a game. Just like with his drives, he'd be running into bodies. If you just have him in a one-on-one situation, no one can stay in front of him. His ability to kind of just step around people is just really hard to deal with. And defensively, he'd hold his own. So he was on my short list at the guards. I went with a guy whose game, I think, is very specifically suited to one-on-one at the three. And that's DeMar DeRozan, especially if we're going all ones like old school basketball, sort of blacktop, all ones uh, where the three doesn't come into play. Just his post game, his ability to hit really tough shots. 
he seems like the kind of guy who could just run a one-on-one court with just hitting ridiculous 18 footers over you over and over again. I've seen, we've also seen clips of DeRozan, like hyper competitive mode in the Drew League, like really embracing the the fun back and forth one, one-on-one matchup. In a similar vein, I thought of Brandon Ingram for the small forward as well. He's got that kind of same, you know, one-on-one isolation, mid-range God sort of game to him. Um, but I just thought DeRozan would be a little more off the beaten track as someone who's not quite thought of as being in the top, top tier of NBA players, but in one-on-one, I could see him being up there. All right. The next forward position, who do you have? Uh, Kevin Durant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not much needs to be said there. Um, KD and who did you, you had the same. So I had Durant, but to be fun. Uh, I mean, Durant, just like he can shoot over anyone. We see him in these Team USA workout videos where he just cooks anyone from 18 feet that tries to guard him. Like you would just never get the ball against him. For fun, I put Zion Williamson at the power forward because I don't think one-on-one there's a single person in the NBA who can stay in front of him. He's too fast. He's too strong. He'd push anyone in the league in the basket every possession. I mean, he puts Rudy Gobert in the basket. He puts Walker Kessler in the basket. So if we're just, you know, at the gym, he's healthy. I don't think anyone's staying in front of him. So if, if he starts with the ball, you're probably not getting it. But if you start with it, uh, he'll he'll probably have a hard time stopping you. So if we're going to do that, let's give Kenny Lofton a shout out. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I mean, he's not as good as Zion, but for the same re- for some of the same reasons, less less of the quickness, but just as much of the strength and also just like um, touch combined with the ability to carve out space and know exactly where you are in relation to the basket. Yeah. Uh, and lefty and the lefty swag. Yeah. Like Brandon Ingram would probably cook Lofton 11 to nothing if he started with the ball, but if Lofton started with the ball, I don't know if Ingram would ever yeah. touch it. Yeah. If Lofton starts with the ball, he has a chance against anyone in the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. At the center, who you got? I, I put Embiid and yep. mm-hmm. I don't think Embiid is as good as Jokic or Giannis. But take all other eight guys off the floor. And I think he's a slightly better one-on-one scorer than those two guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just a testament to the tools that he's added year after year. The mid-range game, comfortable from three. And then, like, all the spinning and, and like, real big man stuff he can do on the, on the block. So. Yeah, I also had Embiid as my first choice. Um, I think he can he can overpower anyone in the NBA. And if all else is failing, he's got that money mid-range jump shot, which is a key in one-on-one. As a more off-the-beaten track one, I put down Shangun just because of his yeah. sort of uh, dazzling footwork in the post. He he could have a shot, but I mean, Embiid's, Embiid's the obvious pick. To sum you're not, up, you're not going to shout out Jalen Brunson real quick? Yeah. I thought about Jalen Brunson. Um, he's just not quite on the level of like getting to the rim as all of those other guys. Um, he's, yeah. just, he's just not on that sort of Kyrie Luca level. He is an amazing isolation player, but so I thought yeah. about him, but no. he might be, it would be the funniest to watch him beat the guys on this list though. Yes. Because it doesn't even have the flash of smaller guys like Kyrie and Steph. Like it's so like fundamental and like industrious the way that he finds windows to get his shot off. Other honorable mentions for me, I, I Tatum was up there. 
but I, I just think he's not quite comfortable enough in the mid range. And I feel like his like threes and layups mentality is a little bit less conducive to legendary one-on-one play. Yeah. Um, Kawhi and PG, they're just not healthy enough, but they're <laughs> like, I just, I, I don't think they, they should be on the list right now. Like, but like, if Kawhi is, if Kawhi's 90% going into the season, I'd probably have him above one guy I had on this list. Um, yeah. But yeah. And then Lori Markinen, I just wanted to give one mm. shout out because the more I look back at the season he had, I feel like, um, you know, I take it for granted as like, a real breakout, but still like a really bad team. He might really be like a star on his path to superstardom and yeah. all of his isolation numbers, his efficiency in one-on-one scoring is like undeniably great. So we'll see if yeah. he can reproduce that this year. Spoiler alert for some future content. I'm working on my top 50 rankings that I do every year. Although there's so many good players in the NBA, it's probably going to be more like a top 70 this year. But I had a really hard time trying to figure out where to rank Laurie Markkinen just because it's like, is he the player that we saw this past year? Is he the player we saw earlier? It's just difficult to tell. But, I mean, this past year, his efficiency numbers are insane, even on volume. Uh, One other honorable mention I had was Anthony Edwards just because I feel like his first step and his strength is so extraordinary that he might just be able to out-athlete anyone he goes against. Um, and with no help defense, uh, yeah. guys just might not be able to stay in front of him. But he also might just settle for a bunch of 15-footers and uh, shoot himself out of the game. Yeah, he might let his ego get the best of him and um, either take a heat check he shouldn't take or get cold and try to force his way out of it by with like long twos and threes. But yeah, he has the talent to be at the very top of the conversation. Yeah. All right, so to sum up, you had Luca, Kyrie... No, Luca, Booker, SGA, KD, Embiid. I had Kyrie, Luca, DeRozan, Zion, and Embiid. But Durant should reason- reasonably end there. I just wanted to be different. Now we were going to start a series that Max uh, had in mind where we're just going to go around the league talking about what a successful season looks like for every team. Uh, and we wanted to do one Eastern team and one Western team. Uh, so today... We were we lined up the Indiana Pacers and the Dallas Mavericks. Let's start with the Pacers, and hopefully, we this is a series that we just come back to. Uh, not every team, I think, deserves an extensive conversation. Uh, and until like the Dame trade happens, for instance, like I don't want to talk about the Blazers. Yeah, so we'll start with Indiana and uh, and and just talk about the roster and what a good 2023-24 looks like for this franchise. Yeah, so with Indiana, it it all starts and ends with Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Last year when he played, they were 28 and 28. So a 500 team with just below a a negative net rating. Um, Right now he's in that kind of fringe all-star point guard tier with a lot of other guys, Jalen Brunson, Darius Garland, Trey Young, John Morant, De'Aaron Fox. He's in that kind of tier of point guard, I think already. So a big thing for this season is seeing if he can solidify himself in that or even kind of separate himself from that group of point guards. And he's one of the best pure playmakers in the NBA. His scoring is probably better than most people would think based on how, you know, the jumper looks and how he doesn't necessarily have the best athletic tools, but he is a very efficient scorer along with his playmaking. So can he kind of replicate some of that success from last year and build on it even more 
and get them into the playoffs because I think that that's a reasonable expectation for them this year. Yeah, from like a fantasy GM perspective, Halliburton is about as blue a blue chip asset as there is in the league right now because of how young he is because in 28-29 he's making like low 40s uh and that's probably going to age into being one of the best contracts in the league if he can stay healthy because the cap's going up and you know guys are already getting paid way more than that who are not as good as Halliburton today um but it, it'll be interesting to see if Indiana can establish another guy like as like solidify another guy as as you know a running mate for Halliburton like who are you taking with you on this Halliburton build because you could argue there actually isn't another guy on the roster who's like a lock uh to be there in a few years and they have no contracts in the books I think in like two years so really Halliburton is their only long-term bet right now um and so, yeah, we can go down that list. Uh, but I, in short, I think it's less about the record this year, even though they have a lot of competitive guys that want to win now, and more about identifying the keepers, so to speak. Right. And probably the best prospect for that second guy is Ben Matherin. Uh, he was their fifth overall pick last year, sixth overall pick. And he started the year looking like he might win rookie of the year. He was averaging close to 20 points a game coming off the bench on pretty good efficiency. And then as if, especially because he got to the line a ton for a rookie, but his efficiency kind of dwindled over the course of the year. He had a little bit of kind of the tunnel vision scorers mentality, which when I was watching his tape before the 2022 draft at Arizona, I thought he, he seemed a little bit more well, well-rounded than just like a tunnel vision yeah. score. So I agree. I, yeah, so I'd be curious to see if he can incorporate more of that into his game this year, and I think he, he has to if if they want him to be that kind of secondary creator next to Halliburton. I'm not sure whether they'll start him or not. Um, they also could start Nemhard. I'd be curious to hear what you think their starting lineup should be at the end of this. But yeah, I think a big thing for them would be him taking a big step forward because if it's not him, I personally am not very high on Jairus Walker. I would have taken a different swing with that seventh pick that they had well, was functionally the seventh pick. They flipped it with Washington so they could take uh Koulibaly. Maybe they could have taken Koulibaly. He's got that upside to be a, a star potentially. Uh, Cam Whitmore was another option there, but Jairus Walker will be a very solid player. I'm sure I just don't see that star upside with him. So yeah, I would think if it's not Matherin, I don't think that that second guy for them is on the team right now. And I think they're going to be, very solid quickly so it might actually get difficult for them to acquire that second guy yeah because they have a lot of guys that feel like like fourth to seventh guys on a solid team mm-hmm. i and i agree with you on matherin like he has the size and athleticism to stay away from that like jordan pool tyler harrow zone but unless he you know stays aggressive plays better team basketball, becomes more efficient, plays the defense he's physically capable of playing, he could become a guy who enters that, like, you know, empty points. He gives it all back on defense and he doesn't move the ball. Like, he could he could get that bad rap. But he had a, a rookie season where he flashed all of the scoring, all, all of the, like, um, offensive pop, and now we just need to see him in, a, in more of a team concept. Uh, Aaron Neesmith is a guy who 
I'm really excited about because he started shooting better this year and he was kind of like heralded as, as like the, one of the best shooting prospects in his draft class. And he got to the Celtics and just started his career pretty cold. It reminded me of when the Blazers drafted Pat Connaughton, who was a great shooter at Notre Dame. And like, he just couldn't make shots early in the NBA. And I, I'm not sure why, uh, but now Neesmith without the shot kind of honed in on his perimeter defense, got a lot stronger and more athletic and has already established himself as one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Uh, so if he can, he's, I think he was at 36% last year. If he can stay there, maybe bump it up as his volume creeps up as well. Like he's a really good three and D um, maybe starter six man. Um, but he, he looks like he's on a path to be a starter. Um, and then Nemhard, like Nem, what, what do you think Nemhard's actual ceiling is? He's a really interesting player. He's kind of the anti-Matherin in that he doesn't have the explosiveness. He's not the purest of shooters. Um, but he kind of does everything else. Yeah. So the kind of, I mean, the realistic comps are kind of like the Tyus Jones archetype of like just that very solid uh, Monte Morris as well. Just that kind of very solid, like, you know, if he's your backup point guard, he's one of the best backup point guards in the league. If he's your starter, he's kind of a little yeah. bit lower. He's a sneaky six, five. Wow. I, I, he looks smaller than that, but he's six five, so he's he's got size. Like him and Halliburton together in the backcourt is viable. And yeah, I don't know. Do you have any kind of? I mean, I don't see like that Jalen Brunson sort of like, you know, vet college player who turns into like a stud in the NBA. I don't quite see that with him. But I mean, he can be a really good game manager at the very least. Um, and his shot is is good too like i think that he's going to be a yeah. really reliable shooter um what do you think with Nemhard? i think i agree with you on like that tyus archetype but he's a little bit bigger he's got broad shoulders and might just be like that guy with fewer physical limitations um so maybe where tyus kind of maxes out as an elite backup point guard uh Nemhard can be like i don't know um, a, a more like a guy that you actually close with in the playoffs. Uh, he can hold his own more on defense on an Island. Um, and Jarrett, Jarris, I agree with you, but I, I also, like you said, I think he's going to be in the league a long time. Uh, even if it, it wasn't as much of an upside swing as I wanted them to take this year. Um, J Isaiah Jackson is, is also interesting in light of the miles Turner contract. Right. Um, because Isaiah Jackson is the center you want theoretically, if you're not, paying a superstar center like Jokic or Embiid like they're paying Isaiah Jackson four million dollars I believe um and he's a decent rim protector can move pretty well and so with Isaiah it's like you're trying to evaluate him behind Miles Turner to figure out like you know is is Miles Turner inhibiting Isaiah's growth and is Isaiah's ceiling great enough that you want to move miles out of the way and, and see how, how good he can be. Uh, those that's another front court question for, for this team heading into the year. Yeah. And there've been rumbles about moving miles for years and it seems like they're pretty committed to keeping him. And I yeah. would probably keep him unless another team kind of blows you away because he's the type of center that every team is looking for basically that doesn't have one of those elite level centers, but someone who can both be an elite rim protector and space the floor. Like, yeah. All these like New Orleans would, I think, just give up a ton if they can, if they know Zion's part of their future plans. Like Miles Turner's the perfect guy to put next to him. 
Yeah, because they definitely know that. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I, I immediately regret saying that, like talking, like discussing Isaiah Jackson in terms of tension with Miles Turner on the roster. Because I agree with you, you've got to pay somebody, and like Halliburton is so good already that he deserves good players around him. But don't mm-hmm. don't keep tanking. You have your point guard of the future. Um, so yeah, and and twenty whatever it is for Miles Turner is a great number. Isaiah Jackson, we already know, is a really good backup center. And so maybe he's so good in limited minutes that, you know, we learn some things about his game and review this next year. But yeah, Miles is a great player to have with with the pieces they already have. The yeah. younger guys. Well, um, we should probably mention Bruce Brown since they spent $25 million on him this summer. And I'm kind of curious to see what their plans are with him. Like they could right. have they could have a cool lineup of Halliburton Brown and Nemhard, where it's like these three big guards who are all good playmakers. Um, but I'm kind of curious to see where he slots into the team because he's, he's someone who, you know, you can see pretty easily how he fits on a team with like a star that he's playing off of and sort of multiple stars that he's playing off of, like with Denver or with Brooklyn or when it was rumored, he might be going to the Lakers. You could see how as yeah. a dirty work guy who would fit in there. I'm I think he has a they have a team option on the second year of his contract. So I'm just kind of curious to see how this year goes and how they use him because it I think they'll probably I mean they must be starting him if they paid him $25 million this year. But I'd be curious to see if they envision like a bigger on-ball role for him or if he's just gonna be doing that kind of dirty work role that he was doing in Denver just at a much higher price tag. Yeah. So this year they're paying 21 to Miles Turner and 22 to Bruce. Brucey B. And I, like I said, these, these contracts make sense because they're not crazy. They're over relatively soon. Um, and you have a year or two now to find out is the team good enough soon enough for how good those two guys are on the floor to matter. If they're not, it's okay. They're still rubbing off on young players. These are like vets who've carved out awesome roles uh, and, you know, obviously made a ton of money for it. So I, again, like, uh, low risk, maybe low reward, but if Halliburton becomes the superstar, we think he's going to be. Matherin takes a step. Nemhard is a real guy. The flashes last year weren't just flashes; those become more the norm for him. Neesmith keeps growing. Jarris is a top eight value guy. Uh, like having Miles Turner and Bruce Brown makes you maybe a fun play into you know better than that. If the East is you know, falls a little bit differently than I think I'd probably predict it to. Yeah. And I think, yeah, to close things out on Indy, I think they also probably want to get a sense of their long-term answer at the four. Like, is it Obi? They traded for him. If Obi's going to work anywhere, it'll be in Indiana where he has playmakers all over the place between Brown, Halliburton, and Nemhard, who will look for him when he's going for lobs and cutting on the baseline, short rolling, all those different things. Yeah. They have a spacing big man in Miles Turner who can leave the paint wide open for Obi to just kind of rumble down and try to do his best Amari Stoudemire impersonation because in his years in New York, he was always playing with either Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein, Nerlens Noel, yeah. someone like that on the floor too, where he didn't have like an open runway, which is what he does best is be the role man. So if he's going to work anywhere, it'll be in that sort of environment next to Miles Turner. But if, you know, 
Obi's not the answer there because he's too bad at defense or whatever the reason. Yeah. You know, how does Jarris look? Is he the long-term answer there? There's probably a much better defensive upside between yeah. Jarris and Turner. Um, I would probably start Obi this year just from what I've seen from him. And I think he makes sense with that starting unit. I'd probably throw out Halliburton, Nemhard, Bruce Brown, Obi, and Miles Turner as my starters, but I could see yeah. arguments for starting Matherin or Buddy Heald also. Um, yeah. I hear you on Obi. You know I'm not an Obi guy. He's just an archetype that seems to have been phased out of the league slowly but surely. And you and I were both lower than consensus on Jarris, but he looks more like a modern NBA four. For with sure. The potential to play small ball five, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, but but I I I like that starting lineup. It's has a lot of offensive pop and being more specific about what success looks like for this team next season. I don't know. I, I thought like play in, but like with a real chance to, you know, make the playoffs and then give a one or a two seed a six game series. Like that's that's kind of the fun Pacers season that I would uh that I would put my money on. Yeah, I'd probably if I'm power ranking the East right now, I'd probably put them eighth. I think the yeah. Bucks are better, Celtics, Sixers, Cavs, Knicks, all better, Hawks better, Heat better, and then I think they're that next team. Um yeah. With some of the other younger teams that might be trying to progress, but I'd probably put them at eighth in those power rankings based on how they looked last year when Halliburton played. Yep. I'm with you. All right. Now to the West. Let's look at Dallas. So this one I think is a simpler starting place. They have to get back in the playoffs. Like when you have yeah. a guy like Luka Doncic on your team, he is a perennial, you know, preseason MVP contender. Um, back in the playoffs, they, they need a lot more than that. This yeah. is like, it's very rare that a team that just missed the playoffs will be talking about as like, <laughs> I think it's disappointing if they don't make the conference finals. That was the first thing wow. that came to me. Um, but that's just because, you know, you have one of the best players ever, uh, who could get frustrated very quickly. And I just want to say your traps look amazing. Max is zooming with no shirt on. Quick pause advertisement for Max's upper body. The knee surgery, the overcompensation, it's coming in. It's beautiful. Keep up the good work. Must be Back to Luca. Yeah. I mean, they just missed the playoffs. They sucked. They sold out for a pick. They got it. They have a couple young players now that I'm really interested in. But the Mavs need to win a couple rounds. or it's They win one round, and if they're one round and out, I think like it's a crazy off season. It's chaos on ESPN and it's chaos on Twitter and it might be chaos in Luca's soul because he's still saying all the right things about how he wants it to happen in Dallas. But I don't know, man, he's, he's too good to be throwing away these, these precious years of like all time greatness. Yeah. And they're definitely, I think one of the largest gulfs between ceiling and floor in the, in the NBA or in the West, like, I think yeah. there's I think their ceilings the conference finals. Um, I I don't think they have a finals ceiling, but I think their floor is the play-in. Um yeah. like I think I think Denver's better than them. I think the Lakers are better. I think Phoenix is better. I think the Warriors could be better. Like yeah. pretty soon you're the underdog in a first round series. Um so let's 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 do something real quick. Um on October 5th, if Dame is still a blazer, the Mavs can trade uh what would it be? The Mavs can trade Kyrie, Lively, Prosper, and Hardy for Dame. 
Basically, they're whole young core except Josh Green. You get to keep Josh Green and try to win with him in the playoffs. But you have to trade the two first-round picks you just made and Jaden Hardy along with Kyrie. You get Dame, top 10 player in the league. Uh, 15. Okay, 15. 15 if you're an asshole. Uh, <laughs> that leaves you with an eight of Luka, Dame, Josh Green, Grant Williams, King Kleba, Seth Curry, Dante Axum, my hero forever, and Rashawn Holmes. That's your eight. And Dwight Powell is a is a Mavs legend, so he's your ninth guy. Mm-hmm. Would you do that? Would you mortgage your future to get Luca a guy who's way more reliable, who you can expect to be extremely clutch and a real leader in the playoffs? Um, and you know. You, you're giving away a lot to get off Kyrie, and it seems really scary that you went from everything you had before uh, to to Kyrie. You swallowed a draft alive to get off of him, but it's game. What do you think? Man, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, Luke, Luca is this sort of, he is a phenom, and when you have those guys, you have to be all in on winning. But at yeah. the same time, he's still only like 23 years old and if omax and lively end up looking like future high quality starters those are like great guys to have around him going forward for the next five ten years but at the same time if you're getting rumblings that he's he's unhappy and might be looking to to move if things don't go well this year then you might feel be compelled to do that i don't know i don't know if the gap between Kyrie and Dame as a second option. I mean, there's the reliability concerns, which Dame won't have any of those. But I don't know if, assuming they're on the court, the gap between Kyrie and Dame on the court as second options is big enough to warrant giving up all that other stuff. Uh, Because then it's like you're locked in to Luka and Dame, which is a good thing to be locked into, but with not that much... Because that that was also, I think... I think I like Katie and Booker more than Luca and Dame, and the yeah. Suns. And the Suns have a better team around them, and not mm-hmm. not that those are the only two teams to think about. I mean, the Nuggets are better than all of them, but um, I don't. Yeah, that that I it, I think it's hard to build a championship defense around Dame and Luca. Um, yeah, even I, though I, I I disagree with you, I think Dame. I would value Dame so much more than Kyrie uh, today. Yeah, and I'm I understand why they paid Kyrie, but. I don't know. I, I just can't. I don't I don't know what to expect. I need a full season of Kyrie. It's been a long time. Yeah. I mean, so I guess for me, like Dallas, if they can, I probably honestly, I probably wouldn't do it. If Dallas can make yeah. the second round and look competitive and their two draft picks this year, Omax and Lively look like future high quality yeah. starters. Grant Williams sort of grows into his role at the as a, as a starter at the four and looks like a really solid complimentary player for them. They might trade for Clint Capella. There's a lot of rumblings about that. He would be, I mean, he'd have flashbacks to his Houston days with James Harden. And honestly, his Atlanta days with Trey, he's just a tailor-made role man for Luca. That's that's the role that he's thrived in. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to know, like, and I'd love to know what the Mavs think behind closed doors, like in training camp, how quickly can Derek Lively become a defensive anchor for Luca? Um, in terms of Omax, like, is he Dorian Finney-Smith with better rim pressure? I don't know. Uh, Hardy is a polarizing guy. You know, he's a guy who I think for a lot of teams would be 
um, the swing asset in that in that trade negotiation um, because he's kind of similar to Matherin so far in his career, like super talented scorer. But how does he fit into a team concept? Uh, is he really committed to defense? Is he committed to not being one of your best three players um, and still really caring? And then for Josh Green, like he's been really interesting in, and he was really efficient last year, but he needs to do it at more volume. He needs to get to the line more. Uh, he For his athletic gifts, he's just not taking in enough free throws. I think he was like at 1.7 last year. Uh, so there are a lot of questions in the, in the guys around Luca, and, and that's why I was just thinking, like, is there any way you can secure a sure thing superstar playoff dude for next year so that you don't have another 2023 flame out? I mean, I think the flaw is just the best player to put next to Luca as a co-star probably isn't a small point guard. Like, yeah. The ideal Luca co-star is probably like Anthony Davis, someone who can just be an elite role man, cover for his defensive deficiencies, and um, you know, take a turn of of kind of dominating offensively when necessary, but also not demand a super high usage. Mm-hmm. But there's not that many of those guys in the league. So you kind of have to take whatever second star you have. Like Boston's dealing with this right now, where they have two top 25 players or so, but they don't fit super well together, but when you that's when you have two top 25 players, you can't like turn your nose up at it. Um, so I'd say the case yeah. for Dallas this year, this iteration of Dallas is Luca and Kyrie proved to be like an unstoppable offensive duo. And we already saw with Kyrie last year, their defense was horrible, but when he was on the court, regardless of whether Luca was or not, they had damn near, I think 130 offensive rating. Like yeah. they could score. Um, and Luca's an elite offense unto himself. Basically, we saw that in his second year. I think they had the best offense in league history under Rick Carlisle. I mean, you take that with a grain of salt, but they had a really good offense. And yeah, basically, it's that offensive duo being unstoppable, plus kind of the infusion of athleticism and size and youth with Grant Williams, uh, Derek Lively, Omax Prosper, Dante Exum. Maxi Kleba coming back after missing a lot of last year, all of that kind of infuses enough to bring their defense to respectable levels, like average, dare I say, or a little bit below average. And if that's the case where they have an elite top three to five offense with an average defense, then they will be a good playoff team, like not just a playoff team. Um, Will that happen? Lively, Omax, they're rookies. Rookies aren't usually great on the defensive end. Exum hasn't played in the NBA in a couple of years. Like it's unclear if he's going to be a high level contributor or not. Grant Williams, I think will be good for them. I love um, Grant. I love Grant. Yeah. I, want, I want Grant on my team. That I'll just leave it there. Ever since that Milwaukee Boston series a couple of years ago, when he frustrated Giannis as much as any player I've seen play him one-on-one, um, I've I've had respect for him, even though when he was in Boston, I really disliked him. But now that he's in Dallas, I kind of like him more. Um, yeah. I just don't I don't poke. I don't buy the poke the bear bullshit with Jimmy. Like he got Jimmy yeah. to have that fourth quarter. I just think Grant is a really good modern forward and he really tries to contribute to winning basketball and usually does. So, yeah. And if I'm I, I pay him this 12 million or whatever. And if I'm uh, Jason Kidd in the playoffs, uh, I'm probably closing with Luca, Kyrie, whichever of my wings has it going, but let's just say Josh Green, uh, Grant, and Kleba. 
And I think that kind of gives them that five outlook that they've kind of toasted the Clippers and the Jazz with in the past. In the past, that lineup was like Luca Brunson, Finney Smith, Kleba, and Hardaway. So I don't know if Luca, Kyrie, Josh Green, Grant Williams, Kleba is better or not, but it's at least comparable, I think. And it allows them to be, if Kleba's hitting shots, I think pretty unguardable with Luca and Kyrie surrounded by three three point shooters and Grant and Kleba and Josh Green being sort of competent or good enough on the defensive end to hold their own. So that's probably the lineup that could be their sort of, you know, net rating king lineup. Yeah. But yeah, I think I'd probably pick them to be somewhere between like a five seed to an eight seed uh, in the West this year, which if the goal is the Western Conference finals, that's not the best place to start from. But if they can, you know, have a make it to the second round and at least have their young guys look like they're going to be really good long term pieces for them, I think that would at least seem like they're getting back on the right track. If they have a repeat of last year where they're like struggling to see whether their pick is going to convey to the Knicks or not again, then I think that's when they get to the real danger zone of like, is Luca just going to say enough with this? I'm, I should be winning enough games to be in the MVP conversation every year. I need to be in a different spot. Yeah. Excuse my seating irreverence, but I just don't care that much where the Mavs start the playoffs. They can beat anyone. And it Mm -hmm. might be a guy like Luca wants to face Jokic in the first round anyway. I just think the concern is that you get stuck trying to manage multiple timelines Mm-hmm. And I think the Warriors get way too much shit for, uh, you know, allegedly failing to do that because they got a championship so recently. Yeah, uh, they've they've been just fine. But the Mavs, like, if Lively and Prosper aren't good enough soon enough, and I think Omax will be, but Lively specifically, you might have to get off those guys to keep Luca secure in this situation. Um, you might you you might not have three years to let Lively blossom in the way that he probably needs to. Uh, Chances are Lively isn't uh, a a net positive player in year one, two. Uh, It's probably year three, four that he really starts to pay dividends on that pick. Yeah. And so don't piss Luca off. Don't do what the Blazers did to Dame uh, by saying you have one plan to win now, but, but then, you know, your behavior reflects otherwise. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why that Dame trade kind of spooked me a little bit is I think I'd probably prefer if you're going to go that route of trading your hoard of assets to keep Kyrie and trade them for a different archetype of player like a Pascal yeah. Siakam or something. Yeah, I, I just wrote down Siakam with a question mark. Exactly. I was say, if it's not the big, if it's not the AD, rim runner, elite defender, uh, occasional post-toucher, yeah, it's the guy who can guard the guys at Luca's position that he doesn't want to guard. Um, like, and then also can make quick decisions and slash and do the things Pascal does. Yeah, if Toronto, you know, wants to maybe some point during the year decide they're going into a multi-year rebuild, tank for Cooper Flag in twenty twenty-five. Um, no, no. <laughs> like, this is just coming from a Knicks fan who wishes his team would suck more and not just be like good yeah but like i don't know would lively omax hardy 
the first round picks. I don't know if that's enough to sway Toronto for Siakam, but if it is, and you have Luca, Kyrie, Siakam, Grant Williams, and Kleba, like now you're cooking with something. That yeah. that is a for sure Western Conference contender, I think. Or for instance, like would the would the Raptors do OG for Omax lively and the contracts necessary, you know, like Tim Hardaway. Right. Uh, we haven't even mentioned, but it's still on this team. Yeah. <laughs> and gonna be healthy. Uh, you know, I know I would think long and hard about that, especially because there have been rumors that Siakam's gonna be on the move soon. Um, so the Raptors are might not want to win uh immediately anymore. You get OG for lively and Omax. I think both parties could conceivably be happy about that deal. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that was the first installment of what makes a successful season for uh, Indian Dallas. We'll be back with uh, a couple other teams and some other wacky all NBA ideas whenever you hear from us next. But thanks for listening and peace.